Francisco 49 is deep in the heart. Like Joe Montana in the corner, deep Clark. Garrison Hurst, stiff form going 99. Don't get it twisted, one and all with prime time. John Taylor, Jerry Rice down the sideline. NDB, greatest owner of all time. Gruden, Walgren, Bill Belichick were all students of Bill Walsh. Don't ever forget. I'm Lee Gowland. I'm Brian Davis. And this is the 49er Fearful UK Show. Hi guys, and welcome back to another episode of the 49er Faithful UK show. Today's show is an end of regular season special where we will, we will be discussing award winners and looking back over some of our early season predictions. On the show today, I'm joined by a virtual round table of participants, so please bear with me as I introduce them one by one. And I'll start by saying Happy New Year to all of my guests and also to the members of the 49er Faithful UK. Happy New Year, guys. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Okay, so first off, we have the return of Brian Davis. Hello, Brian. Good evening. How are you? I'm fine, mate. Next up, we have regular guest Najee Kura. Hello. Hello, everybody. We are also joined by child beater Jay Peplow. <laughs> All allegations have been dropped. You can hear peace and quiet. Good evening. I did check the news to make sure. <laughs> we are quickly followed by the world's worst fireball winner, Gareth Ellis. <laughs> Thanks for that. Good to be here. Lee. <laughs> no problem. It's good to have you. And last but not least, we have Paul Gokwan Hope. <laughs> Could have been worse. I'll accept that for now. Evening, everyone. And as always, my name is Lee Gowland and I'm your host. Okay, so I think it's fair to say we have exceeded everybody's expectations with how the regular season has gone. And we're all fairly happy waiting for the divisional round to enjoy our first playoff football in six years. So we'll start by revisiting some of the predictions we made in the first few episodes of the season. Right, Nanchi. You're first up with your season prediction and bull predictions. Do you want to remind us all what those were and how you did? Yeah, sure. Uh, I did okay, I think. So I predicted we, we would go 10 and 6. Uh, so obviously we did way better than now. Free game is, is pretty good. Um, and I my bull prediction on offense was for Debo Samuel to get 800 yards and eight touchdowns. And he did one of them and not the other, unfortunately. So he got 802 yards, so it was right on the money there. But he only scored three, t- three touchdowns through the air, although he scored three more on the ground. So I was actually closer than it looks. <laughs> and uh, on defense, I said that we would finish top seven in the NFL. And we're actually uh, the second best defense in the NFL. Um, I'd say first because the Patriots D played the Dolphin twice. So it doesn't count, although they lost, but still doesn't count to me. Um, but so, yeah, uh, I think I did all right. Um, obviously... I think everybody, every Niners fan, uh, would have gone less than thirteen and three after going four and twelve. So, yeah, quite happy with the prediction. Obviously, happier than we exceeded it. Yeah, so that was that was fairly close. It's a lot better than mine, which we'll get to at the end. So next up is Gareth. Did did you get anywhere close on your season and ball predictions? Uh, well, I think I did. I, I got really quite close. It was the, the the first game, the Bucks game, which was my first podcast, and you put me right on the spot. I wasn't expecting to be asked for for anything beyond the the season prediction. You're where, welcome. Like, uh, I, I went for ten and six, 
So uh, literally put on the spot, I pulled out of thin air that Jimmy G would get 4,000 yards. Uh, he was 22 yards short. I reckon that's about 99.5% of the way to the prediction. So uh, I'm, I'm having one. Uh, and the second one, which I which I had forgotten until you reminded me earlier, was that we would have uh, 12 defensive uh, interceptions. And we did indeed get 12. So wow. I'm... For having pulled them out of thin air on the uh, on the spot on the pod- podcast, I'm I'm quite pleased with myself. Yeah, I have to give it to you. You did do well on that. Yeah, very well indeed. Thank you. So both Paul and Jay were guests on later episodes and didn't get the opportunity to make predictions. However, you, you'll have both have had an idea and expectation of how we do in the regular season. So yeah. I'm going to get uh, Jay to tell us first, followed by Paul. How did you think we were going to do? My my early season predictions, ever the optimist here, I had us down at 12 and 4. Um, I had us losing one to the Seahawks um, and, believe it or not, losing to the Saints, Green Bay and the Ravens. Um, I'm, I'm glad I got them wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, 12 and 4 was early season and genuinely I had a very similar um, player prediction to Jimmy G as Gareth did. Um, I had him down for a 4,000-yard season and also a 30, uh, 30 touchdowns in the season. Um, and I, I think I fell two or three short on the touchdowns. I think he had 27 or 28 in the year. Um, but apart from that, like you've already said, they've massively exceeded everybody's ex- expectations. Yeah, yeah, we certainly have. Paul? Yeah, I mean, I think me and you had a discussion earlier on. I was similar to you. I was looking at eight and eight, nine and seven, similar to Jay. I try and be positive. I think we've all exceeded everyone's expectations. Um, Bold prediction. (laughs) This is going to sound laughable when I read it out loud. I was hoping we would double our interceptions from last year because I think if we all remember 2018, our defence didn't do so great with the interception rate. Um, I think we matched it in the first game, let alone there. <laughs> so, I think I was right there. I didn't have Jimmy down for the yards the other lads had down. I definitely hoped he'd be the comeback player of the year. I think it's well known. I'm a Jimmy G fan. I've gone all in on him. And I, I just thought he would have a good season this year. And to be honest, lads, I think you were quite close. With a couple of dropped catches throughout the year, he would have got the 4,000 yards. Yeah. Oh, God, without a shadow of a doubt, you'd have gotten the mm-hmm. 4,000 yards if those catches hadn't been dropped. Yeah, definitely. Okay, he so might have, those, uh, the 22 yards he needed, he might have had them if he'd been allowed one more drive against the Seahawks. Yeah, yeah, possibly. Yeah. Okay, so finally, Brian, and I think I'll, you'll know why I've left you till last. <laughs> <laughs> have you been out and bought any Brasso yet? Not just yet, no. Not just yet. Do you want to remind everybody what your season prediction was? Um, I can't remember what I said in terms of um, playoff record. I think it was at week two, week three, I think we spoke, wasn't it? I think I'm sure I went something like 12 and four, 11 and five. Um, but yeah, the, the main bold prediction there was uh, we're going to win it all. Yeah. Which I think at the time nobody really believed. No, including yourself, but you, you, you did you did stick your neck out and you went all in on that. Exactly what I said now, but that was the uh, the bold prediction for the uh, for the uh, for the season there. 
Yeah, so I mean, everybody's come close in in various different aspects of what they made as a season prediction and a poll prediction. Um, just remembered I haven't given mine yet. So I, I predicted that we were going to go 13 and 3. Jimmy was going to throw for 3,978 yards. Uh, <laughs> I wish. Okay, so my prediction was 8 and 8. So we've well and truly exceeded that expectation. Um, the only bold prediction I gave as far as players was concerned was uh, Uncle Sherman pulling in five interceptions. Um, unfortunately, he was too short. He actually had the three interceptions by, I think, week five or six. So I was getting myself really excited that he was going to do it. Um, but unfortunately, he, he came short. But he still had, statistically speaking, his best season ever in the NFL. So I think that's good enough for me. Um, that he's completely balled out for the whole of the season. And he's, he's done really well there. Okay, so on to the awards. Uh, and when I say awards, what I mean is who we personally think deserves a mention for the traditional categories of NFL awards. So some of the areas we're going to be looking at is Defensive Rookie of the Year, Offensive Rookie of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, Offensive Player of the Year, Special Teams Player of the Year. Right, so we finished the predictions with Brian, so I think we'll do a reverse order and this time start with Brian. Do you want to go through your awards, Brian, and tell us why you've picked that particular player? Yeah, uh, I probably won't waste too much time on this. Um, it's pretty straightforward for me on, on most of these. Uh, Defensive Rookie of the Year, um, Nick Bosa. Um, he's just a game changer. Uh, I don't think he's just the 49ers Defensive Rookie of the Year, but I think he's the NFL's Rookie of the Year, uh, certainly on the defensive side of the football. Uh, 80 total pressures, which is... At last time I checked, was 14 more than any other edge defender has ever accumulated as a rookie. Um, 10 of those were sacks, 18 quarterback hits and 52 pressures. We've seen him chase down the likes of Russell Wilson. Um, we've seen him being held at the line of scrimmage and making tackles in the backfield. I think he reads the game just magnificently. And I, he's just a special, special talent. And if he can continue anywhere near at this pace... Uh, then we're going to be talking about someone having a possible gold jacket career. Yeah, I agree with that, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, offensive rookie of the year, I'm going to go for Debo. He might not just be the best um, wide receiver rookie on uh, in the NFL. Or he might actually be the best rookie wide receiver in the NFL. If he's been probably gone way above a lot of people's expectations for this year, um, considering who we were sort of tagged for potentially drafting um, in Metcalf and, and Brown and those guys. Um, the Titans, AJ Brown might have something to say about Debo being yeah. the best rookie wide receiver in the league, but he's certainly up in the conversation. And I think from what I've heard uh, sometime over the weekend, I think it's actually the best rookie wide receiver season that the 49ers have ever had, which is in, he's in pretty good company there. So yeah, he's a bona fide weapon at, wide receiver he's another game changer he's so versatile he runs like a running back at times just uh far out you know exceeded my expectations for him um in terms of defensive player of the year uh richard sherman for me um it's it's obvious when he's not there what happens to us and that drop off is significant because he's the leader both on and off the field uh, we've seen in some of the games this season that cute quarterbacks haven't even 
dared look on his side of the field. Seattle didn't even throw his way once on Sunday. On yeah, Sunday. So it it takes half of that field away. And when Witherspoon and Mosley are out there, they're getting all of the work. And it's no wonder that Witherspoon and Mosley at times are having a rough time of it because they're they're getting targeted so many times and getting picked on when you know when they're not delivering and making plays. So it just goes to show how much of a of an influence and how much of a weapon Sherman is on the defensive side of the, the field. Offensive player of the year, I'll let someone else do all the superlatives here. George Kittle. Um, we could probably spend a whole hour talking about the things that George Kittle can can do on a football field. And George Kittle is probably the best tight end in, in football. He's heading down the Gronkowski route of of that level of elite play and it's not a one season wonder now this is two seasons in a row he's possibly as important to the 49ers as any player on any roster in the entire league is the way that I would look at him uh, special teams player of the year uh, I'm going to say most of it because there isn't really that much choice on this section for me but Gould has been dreadful and then he's been clutch uh, Wisnowski has been he's been decent but I think the drop-off in special teams coverage when Moster isn't out there is quite noticeable. So when he's out there making plays, uh, chasing down kick returners um, and, and playing the gunner role, it's it's obvious when he's there and it's even more obvious when he's not there. Yeah, can't argue with any of that either. So, Paul, do you have anything different to what Brian had? Um yeah, I have a different defensive player of the year. So if you want me to yeah. dive into that one first, if you don't mind. Um, this was the toughest one for me, considering how well we've got Nick Bosa, Richard Sherman, Fred Warner. But for me, Eric Armstead was my defensive player of the year. He finished team leader in sacks and run stops. And it just felt like whenever we needed a big stop, he was there. He was dominant all season. I mean, him and Bosa were neck and neck as pass rushers. But... He just made phenomenal plays. And he's in a contract year. He's definitely getting paid. So that was my only difference to um, to Brian. Obviously, I went with Nick Bosa. I went with Debo Samuel. Um, obviously, we talked about offensive player of the year. I was torn between Jimmy and George Kittle. And I went back and forth. But I'm going to go with Kittle. He's just an animal. He's the best player on the team. Teams can double him up. Doesn't matter. He blocks. He paves away for the running backs. You know, when we've needed someone in those situations, when Jimmy's at the goal, like against the Saints. So for me, Kittle was just, he broke records in 2018, but he was just a better player this year. And he's definitely, for me, our offensive player of the year. Special teams, I struggled with that one, but I went with the same as Brian Mostert. Basically, he brought something different to the team. And obviously, he's progressed into our star running back. So... The only other category that I don't think we've touched on is the underrated. You asked us to do our most underrated player. So we'll get to that category uh, next. Right. So I want to okay. separate that from your traditional defensive and offensive player of the uh, the year award. So, Jay, li- listening to what both Paul and Brian have said, uh, have you got anything to add? Any player that uh, we haven't mentioned yet? Um, there's only one player that hasn't been mentioned yet, and that was my special teams player of the year. Um, it was just one little thing that stuck in my head and it's, it's still there because it's nice. Um, it's Richie James. Um, his kick returns throughout the season haven't been too shoddy. Um, and he had the 81-yarder against the Rams as well. Um, but pretty much same as everybody else. Rookie, 
defending Nick Bosa. Um, it's just impressive. Even if he's not actually going to do anything, everybody thinks he is. It's the fear he strikes in the opposition quarterbacks. And it reminds me of those fun times up in Edinburgh. The um, the look on Drew Brees' face whenever he was coming. And same with Aaron Rodgers as well. Just the fear he strikes in, into people. Um, offensive rookie Debo Samuel, again, he's out of this world this season. Absolutely incredible. Sherman, again, for Defensive Player of the Year. It's just his guidance and his, his maturity and his leadership and motivation of the entire defensive squad is second to none. Um, offensive Player of the Year, as everybody, it is Mr. Kittle. It has to be. Um, everything he does, you know, he, everything he touches turns to gold. So I completely agree with Brian when he says he's coming um, oh, sorry, it wasn't Kelly said about um, about him. That, that's a Hall of Famer right there, George Kittle. Um, but apart from that, everything the same. Gareth, how does all this fit with your picks? Yeah, all sounding uh, very familiar. Uh, defensive rookie, I've got Bosa. Uh, only thing I'd add there is is that he personally, as an, as an individual, is so not what I, I expected him to be. Uh, these guys come out of college, talked about as a as a first overall pick. I expected him to be perhaps a bit cocky, a bit arrogant, and he just seems such a, a laid back and, and humble guy. Um, it's just it, he, he isn't what I expected at all in personally, um, but he is exactly what we wanted on the field. Um, offensive, I've got Debo. Um, uh, nothing else to add there. Um, defensive uh, player of the year, uh, Richard Sherman. I think it's been mentioned there. His leadership. He's always working. If you see him on the sideline, he's he's talking to players. He's he's speaking to the young players around him. He's speaking to the coaches and and telling the coaches what he's seen on the plays. Uh, you know, he's he's never got a moment off during the game. What I have got for offensive player of the year, um, I thought it might turn into the George Kittle Appreciation Society. So <laughs> I've actually, I've actually picked Jimmy G, uh, and I think that's because. That was the question mark, if you remember, way, way back at the beginning of the season. Is Jimmy going to be worth the money? Is he going to recover from his from his injury? Is he going to be able to deliver? Uh, and he's answered all of those questions emphatically. Uh, and like it or not, the team and the team success is, is carried on the quarterback's shoulders. So um, I think for, for me, it's 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 Jimmy as, as far exceeded perhaps what we what we thought he even might do in a in a comeback year. Um, and he's he's definitely one of the top ten quarterbacks in the league. Uh, and yeah, special teams monster. We've really noticed the uh, um, slightly softer uh, kick coverage uh, now that he's not there, basically waiting for the ball to land so that he can hammer the kick returner. Yeah, yeah. Naji, do you have any curveballs that you want to throw out there? Uh, I do. Yeah, you seems like you know me now. Um... Yeah, I mean, it's more like I, I obviously agree with everybody, but my defensive rookie of the year is Dre Greenlow, um, purely because we didn't know uh, how that was going to pan out and the expectation wasn't on him at all because Juan Alexander was playing and Fred Warner was playing. So he wasn't even supposed to be starting and to be playing the ways he has. So to me, the impact that he's brought to the team, if he had been bad, if he because he's a sixth rounder, fifth rounder, sorry. Um, if he had been bad, we would have not been 13 and three. 
uh, as simple as that. Um, so to me, he deserves it. Obviously, Bossa is absolutely amazing and he's even probably in the conversation for defensive player of the year altogether, uh, even in the NFL, I think. Um, so um, I think it's more of a special mention for Dre Greenlaw. I think they both deserve it. So I, I've got that. And uh, my uh, yeah, the offensive rookie of the year is obviously Debo Samuel. I think I think it's just been absolutely outstanding. Also, I have a special mention for uh, Justin Skoll because we don't even realize that he's a rookie, but he stepped in for Joe Staley for a couple of games and 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 helped us quite quite big. So th- thanks for that. At least a good thank you, definitely. Uh, but my defensive player of the year is Fred Warner because this guy is is in his second year and he's the captain of the defense. He's calling the play. And, and if you watch uh, the way I watch football, I, when the offense is on, uh, the, the opposition offense is on, I have my eyes on him to see what he's doing. And um, he's calling plays before they happen. He's all over the field. He's, he's a game changer and he, he makes everybody around him better. Uh, and, and to me, that's, that's, the great, uh, that's the great trait of a great player. And uh, I, I, I also chose Dre Greenlow because I've once heard uh, great players make great plays in great games. And that tackle on Hollister uh, to clinch the, the NFC West is a great play in a great game, in a big time moment. So that's why I chose them both on, on this play. Um, and my special team player of the year is actually Emmanuel Mosley because he, doesn't, he deserves it because he's helped us as well so much playing corner. But he's not going to get defensive player of the year or something. But he does play on the on special team as well. And he has a few tackles and his coverage skills have been pretty good. So I'll give it to him for that. Because most of it isn't a special team player anymore. He's that starting running back. Um, and and I have uh, offensive player there as Jimmy G. Uh, uh, because uh, as uh, Gareth said, I think um, his expectations are, were no, nowhere near as what he gave us. And uh, I have had, I had to add another category, which is MVP of the season, and it's obviously George Kittle for me. So uh, that's where I stand. So I've kind of toured the line as far as Brian's selections are concerned, because I've, I've pretty much went identical to Brian, um, apart from Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, and that I am actually siding with yourself, Najee. So my Defensive Player of the Year is Fred Warner. And the reason I went for Fred is because when you saw him last year as a rookie, he looked good, but he looked very nervous and uncomfortable a lot of the season. That was my opinion. And I think the reason he looked uncomfortable and nervous was because he was given the captain's um, role in his rookie season. And I think we questioned it last year on some of the podcasts, Brian, that maybe it wasn't a good idea to give a rookie such a big role like that. But I think giving him that role has led to him having such a great season this season. As Nadji has said, he's a leader on the field now. People are looking to Fred Warner, and I think he's grown into that role, and I think it was absolutely a fantastic decision for Kyle Shanahan to say, you are now our captain for the defence. You call the players in the huddle. You let everybody know what they're doing. And I think that showed this season. When when Richard Sherman was out, you could see people turning immediately to Fred Warner and they were basically they were taking his energy and his motivation into everything they did. And, and that's why, for me, this season, Fred Warner is the Defensive Player of the Year. Defensive rookie, obviously, Borsa. Offensive rookie, I've gone for Debo Samuel. Offensive Player of the Year, George Kittle. And Special Teams Player of the Year, Raheem Mostert. 
Um, so yeah, I mean that was fairly similar to what Brian had. Um, just the defensive player of the year is different from my point of view. So we do actually have a few other categories I want to throw into the mix. Uh, one of them was the ones that uh, Paul mentioned earlier on. So I've put in another three categories. Most underrated player of the year. Most memorable player moment of the year. And also because it's the end of the decade, I also want to put in the most memorable player moment of the decade. Now, the most memorable player and moment of the year, these can be two different things if you want them to be two different things. So you can do most memorable player and most memorable moment. These could be two completely different things. There might not be two, two players. There might be something different to do with the organisation. Um, but we have a couple of categories there which I think is worth talking about, especially the uh, the most underrated player of the year because I think that's going to be that's going to promote a lot of debate between the six of us. Okay, so I'm going to mix it up a little bit. Um, we've done the, the the forward order, the reverse order. So this time I'm actually going to start with Gareth. Do you want to give us your most underrated player of the year? Yeah, certainly. This I found this one hugely difficult there there was a the list of guys that i wanted to potentially mention or pick um i'm not going to list them now i'm going to hope that, that some of the others on the podcast actually mention these names because i i found it really tough but i've settled on uh, jimmy ward mostly because of him personally embarrassing me uh, by me spending part of the off-season on the Facebook group saying that Jimmy Ward should be cut because he doesn't do anything and he's always injured. So uh, thanks, Jimmy. You've you've shown me up to be a complete numpty. Uh, <laughs> <but> <laughs> I spent some time this afternoon re-watching some of the game highlights uh, and just Jimmy Ward's just always there. Pass breakups, uh, uh, great in coverage. For a guy who's kind of skinny, he's built like a uh, a cornerback and he tackles like a linebacker uh, within a couple of the games of the season. I suddenly was like, ah, I can realize why we kept Jimmy Ward on the roster now. Um, so really because of that, uh, I couldn't look past him when it came to the crunch. Uh, but there is a list of guys that I could have picked as well. So I'm going to keep my fingers crossed that a few names come up from, uh, from the rest of you. Okay, so before we move on to most memorable player moment of the year and moment of the decade, player of the decade, let, let's go through all the underrated players from each different guest um, just to see how these compare. Um, so next up we'll have Brian. Jimmy Ward's a great show. Um, I personally thought he was going to be gone, uh, but he's sort of playing himself into a, a new contract at the team. Um, but for me, I'm going to say Western Richburg. Last year... He played through injury, and let's be honest, he wasn't particularly good last season. Uh, this year, I think he's been a, a, an upper level in terms of NFL, you know, centre and interior guard play. And he's quietly gone about his business prior to his injury in helping Jimmy be as good as what he's been this season. We've seen Garland come in and he's had a few wobbles, but he's 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 been pretty steady. But for someone who touches the ball on every play, that centre quarterback pairing is critical. Um, he was also uh, probably the most, well, I think he was the most senior guy on the line when Staley went down. And he was also the anchor of that line when both McGlinchey and Staley were both out. So for me, um, until his injury, I'm going to say Western Richburg. And I, someone else might say it, but I'll, I'll say it now anyway, while I'm, I'm, while I'm sort of got the, got the hot mic. I think 
Jimmy G will be in consideration for this for anybody who's not in the San Francisco media market or in terms of being, you know, doing stuff like what we do for the, for the team. Cause it's always the same old rubbish arguments, family podcast. Jimmy G has never done it against good teams. You know, Jimmy G will always make a bad throw every game. You know, Jimmy G can't do it on the biggest stage. Jimmy G will forever be in the shadows of Brady and Belichick. And Jimmy G is, it's not elite. It will never be elite. And Jimmy G this and Jimmy G that, I'm tired of it now, sick of it. Look at the record, look at the stats, look at how many of his picks this season have actually been tipped up by our receivers. They're not on him. End of rant. Yeah, no, <laughs> completely agree with that. You're right. It's just become completely tiresome listening to all the, the anti-Jimmy G haters. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I can definitely see him getting comeback player of the year for the NFL. So that'll be interesting. But I think he faces mm. stiff competition, to be honest, from Dalvin Cook because he's had an outstanding mm-hmm. season as well. Yeah. Right, over to Paul. Who was your most underrated player? Well, I went for Jimmy Ward. Um, similar to Gareth, start of the season, I thought we were going to give up on him. And he's just proven myself to be like Gareth, bit of a numpty in regards of, I definitely wanted him gone. At back end of last season, he was just terrible. This year, he's just been tremendous in coverage. And not just one spot, like if we need a safety to slide down into slot and take away a receiver, he's shown that he's capable to do that. Like against the Rams, he just took Robert Woods out of the out of the picture basically, um, and he's just made players all over the field. Similar to what Brian said, preaching the convert Jimmy G. I have a lot of friends that are not 49ers fans, and similar to what Brian said, there, I'm sick of the grief I get for wearing my Jimmy G jersey and Jimmy's rubbish and Jimmy's that. So I agree. I think away from us, Garoppolo definitely is in for a shout on this. And I'd just like to give a little mention to Lake and Tomlinson. I definitely think he needs a mention for being one of our most underrated players. Yeah, no problem. I mean, give, give, him, a sh- give him a shout out there, Paul. He listens regular. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Naji, throw us a curveball, mate. Yeah, I mean, everybody's got very good points, although I'm still not sold on, on Jimmy Ward. I think five years of bad play doesn't come back and within one good year so uh but it's definitely playing better to me i think the the entire line is definitely worth of a shout um these guys have been playing amazing uh even you know maglinchy Staley, richburg you know pearson and tomlinson have just been amazing uh but to me it's it's default because it the as soon as it went down our d-line just wasn't as good and uh and it, it just doesn't seem to Nobody talks about him, it's, which is really weird. He's got probably the biggest contract on a team after Jimmy. And it, it, nobody say, oh, default's missing. That's why they're not good. Or, uh, you know. So, yeah, to me, it's default. It, close second is DJ Jones because they were kind of, he, he was kind of working in the shadows as well and, and doing a lot for, for that D-line. But I think as soon as he come back, hopefully next game, we will see the massive difference that default brings. And uh, I have a special mention for Mostert as well because it, everybody still thinks he's a, st- a special team player, even even you guys. You know, it, 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 to me, he's not. He's a, he's a starting. He's our starting running back. How many runs does he need to do untouched through the middle to get uh, a bit of, uh, you know, a bit of credit? Yeah, and the run. And the runs too. <laughs> Up to you then, Jay. Who, who's your most underrated player? Um. Oh. It's difficult. I'm Mr. Positivity. They all played 
outstandingly well. The only one mention that I would give um, is possibly Quan Alexander. Um, it was early on when he had the pectoral tear, um, but he was getting a hell of a lot of um, decent stats in the games that he was playing and stuff. I know he didn't have the best start to the season, getting ejected on the first game of the season, I think it was, um, for a negligible call by the officials. Um I'm, I'm in the same boat as a lot of others with Jimmy Ward. Um, the end of last season, I was getting frustrated and, and, you know, you see him getting beaten by people and stuff. And then, yeah, this season he comes to light. Uh, but I say it's, it's very hard to pick them because they've all played so well. Nobody looks like a, a rookie. Nobody looks like they've been playing for only two seasons or three seasons. Um but yeah, that, that would be me. You know, I'm, I'm I understand the Jimmy Ward thing because I was in the same boat as people. Um, but Quan Alexander, I think he was quite underrated. Um, the absence from the defense was huge. Um, but we filled the gaps. Okay, so I actually had two people down. I had Jimmy Ward and I had DJ Jones. And after listening to what everybody's been saying. I've now realised that the reason I had Jimmy Ward down wasn't because he was underrated. I think it's because he was the most surprising player this season. Yeah. For most underrated player, I'll go with my second choice. Oh, sorry. The the other choice that I had out of two, which was DJ Jones. I, I think nobody sang his praises all season long. But as soon as he went out, you, you could see there was a difference on the defensive line. Now, that could be because we just weren't subbing the defensive line as much and people were getting tired. But if you look at some of the plays he's made, he's made some fantastic plays, some pivotal plays this season. Uh, and that's why I think he's been the most underrated player for the 49ers this year. Yeah, I agree. I, I had him down first and then I changed to default because I, <laughs> I think he's more of a game wrecker. But um, yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Okay, so let's let's move on to the most memorable player moment of the year. And I think we'll split it in between the year and the decade as well. So let's start off with the most memorable player moment of the year. Um, I'm going to put it out there. The first one to come up with theirs gets to tell us. <laughs> I'll go if you want. I'll go because I think it'll be different than everybody. Um, and to me, it's the it's the top edge on fourth and whatever to go against the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, it's just such an iconic play for me now uh, because a, it's a defensive win. It's a defense play that wins a game, and that's rare enough. And B, it's in Seattle to beat Russell Wilson and to get the crown just all there on one play. And to me, that's just it reflects the entire here of the season where it's last second, so we're all out eating our hearts, and and then all of a sudden it's over, and, and we got it, and we deserved it. So to me, it's it's the drag ring law and Fred Warren the tackle on Hollister. Uh, the the yeah, I remember that play for a long, long time for sure. Yes, when I was making my notes earlier, I put that when you look back now, there are so many. It's so hard to overlook that fourth and two pass to George Kittle in New Orleans, but I'm going to, and it is that goal line stand last week. It was incredible. Um, and what was it, Steve? Steve Young said at the Super Bowl against the Chargers, "Somebody please get that monkey off my back." Well, there it is. That confidence of of that play alone going into a bye week where we've got players coming back from injury, going into the playoffs, that can give a team 
uh, a franchise as a whole, the fan base, anybody connected to the team, the, the momentum and the confidence that that can give that team now, that now that monkey is off their back, is just, it's it's indescribable how big that could be to, to how we sort of uh, approach and go into the into these playoffs with that momentum behind us now. I mean, when it comes, I, I mean, I've got a couple, um, I've, I've got most memorable play and I've got memorable moments as well from the last, from the season. Um, but it's by no means as important as Greenlaw's play um, at the weekend. But my most memorable play was um, Jimmy Garoppolo's toss to Emmanuel Sanders and then throwing a touchdown to Mostert against the Saints. Um, it, it's annoying because it was the only touchdown I missed um, in Edinburgh. <laughs> I was outside <laughs> having a fag. Uh, but I've watched that play so many times over and over again. I, I thought it was it was it was perfection, absolute perfection. And whoever had Emmanuel Sanders on their fantasy that weekend, I think got top trumps on that. Um, are we doing moments as well? Yeah, you can do. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they they all include my my man crush of Mr. George Kittle. Um, there was the 39-yarder against the Saints, taking three tacklers to take him down with a face mask penalty. You know, he's turned a 39-yard run into a 54-yard uh, run with the penalty. Um, and then the last one for me was Kittle's face after his block against <laughs> against the Falcons. I, I've never seen yeah. someone enjoying football so much after that. It was, it was yeah. brilliant. That was awesome. That's, that's such a good... That's that's Josh Kittle in a nutshell, isn't it? It's just so good, yeah. That that face needs to go on a T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody, I'll, I'll make it. I don't care. I'm sure people will buy it. But it was it was fantastic. That's what football's all about. I think it's it's the enjoyment. Um, I'll never say it's the taking part because you only ever hear that from the losers. But Kittle's face, that's football. Gareth. Uh, no, nothing more. I've got a moment. Uh, Drake Link Greenlaw's stop. Uh, particularly coming as it was after, um, you know, the periods with the delay a game penalty. And I think, was it something like the eighth play they'd had from about the 12-yard line? Uh, you know, that must be so difficult to keep your concentration up. Um, it, and, it is. And, and, keep that <laughs> um, and that's, you know, that is a play that will be seen and spoken about, uh, you know, for the next decade. So that's that's my moment of the year and and play of the year. Yeah, I've got I've got Sanders TD pass to to Mustard versus the Saints uh, draw jaw dropping moment. I'd ne- I'd never seen us sort of open the offense up and and do those those trick plays the way we did uh, uh, in that Saints game, um, and that was stunning. And and you know the pass from Sanders, any quarterback would be. Uh, <laughs> Uh, pleased with that pass so I think it was one of those things where the Saints players just looked at each other and thought what do we have to do to stop these guys <laughs> yeah yeah Mr Hall well, I think the atmosphere of, of obviously us being up in, uh, uh, in Edinburgh obviously helped for that game it wouldn't have been quite the same if I'd been uh, on the sofa <laughs> Paul yeah I mean just touching upon what um, the group said there I mean the moment for me was the meet up in Edinburgh you couldn't have scripted it any better, could you? Game of the season, six o'clock meet-up, the amount of us that got to turn up there. Um, I mean, obviously, the atmosphere was electric, the fact that we came back and we won. To me, that was my moment of the year. Like, 
we all sit at home and we watch and we interact on the game day thread. But to actually share that moment with everybody else, it was just epic. And like you said, the way we did it, Kittle's catch, four of them, five of them trying to pull him down. Memorable play. Again, it has to be the stop against the Seahawks. I mean, I, I believe I'm a rookie compared to you guys for how long I've supported the 49ers. And for us to actually win in Seattle in a, in a game that matters so much, I mean... Mm. I don't think I had any fingernails left at the end of it. Um, I had to go to work at 8.30. <laughs> I don't think I got any sleep. I was just sat at home, absolutely buzzing. Got to work sky high, like, we've beat the Seahawks in Seattle. I was like, yes. <laughs> so, More people asking you, who are the Seahawks? <laughs> <laughs> uh, rightly or wrongly, I work with a couple of Bears fans and Giants fans and unbearable mode has definitely been... You know, they just don't come near me now on a Monday morning, Tuesday. They're just like, oh my God, just born again. <laughs> I'm like, yes, we have. Hashtag unbearable. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so everybody has the benefit. Can I just jump in on yeah. that? If, if you just go through the, the schedule for this year and, and you look at all the games that were sort of decided by one or two touchdowns, there are just little key plays in in or maybe two or three key plays in in nearly all of those games which has tipped the the season in our way and it could have gone so many other different ways when you look back at you know that the two pick sixes in Tampa and that kind of ice that game and then you've got Pettis's touchdown against Pittsburgh after we turned the ball over five times when we stopped the Rams on every single third and fourth down that they went for in week six all these little things, you know, winning an absolute slop fest in Washington behind a, mm. a kicker who was completely <laughs> struggling to kick anything at, at the time. And then, like, Ross Dwelly makes a catch to ice the game uh, against Arizona. And, and then, you know, you miss the field goal at home to Seattle. You've got the Jeff Wilson touchdown, which essentially iced the game against Arizona two weeks after we'd just sort of gone to battle with them. Then you've got that last second field goal loss in Baltimore, Kittle in New Orleans, the whole last-minute debacle against the Falcons, which just seemingly blew up in our faces. And then you've got those two third and 16 conversions against the Rams and Gould kicking a winning field goal. And then that goal line stop in Seattle. Just think of how different that whole season could have been if just, you know, that's just sort of like a handful of plays over a dozen games that tipped the, you know, a lot of those tipped it in our favour. But it could have been so, so different if you if you look back and overanalyze everything. So to balance that, if you recall, last season what we we lost five six games by less than a field yeah, goal. Yeah, by less than three points. Wasn't it? Yeah, I think, I think it was seven seven game by less than three points. So. Yeah. So you're right. You're right. I mean, it, it swings in roundabouts. Last year we didn't have the luck. This year we did have the luck. Or mm. is is it luck, or is it better play? Well, good teams make their own luck, as they say. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just it's, it's all about executing and, and making plays. But yeah, you, you're absolutely right. So many. That's just prove how difficult it is to win a game of, of football in the NFL. and It's never a given, ever, ever. It's so it's a game of inches, and that's why we love it. It literally is inches yeah. every time. Yeah. Okay, so everybody had the benefit of seeing what I picked for my most <laughs> memorable player moment of the year. And now that I've listened good, to everybody, I'm, I'm now changing mine. Oh. Um, so most memorable player, yeah, I'm gonna go with the uh, the stop at Seattle without a shadow of a doubt, and I'm gonna agree with Paul. Most memorable moment of the year has got to have been when we kicked the field goal against the Saints, and the reaction that we all had in Belushi's. 
Um, <laughs> as, as I recall, Jay's been trying to get the CCTV footage of that. Uh, as you see, 16, 17 people all jumping up and down, hugging each other, drinks going <laughs> flying everywhere. So that would have been really good to actually have footage of rather than uh, footage of me and Andrew Hodgson, who were absolutely smashed doing a Facebook Live. <laughs> I think I crept in on the back of that as well. You did, yeah. No recollection till the next morning. <laughs> but yeah, I think that I'm going to go with that. So the shuttle stop and the uh, the game winning field goal as my moment of the year, um, just because we were at the meetup, we were all together, and it made it just so much better. Right, so the next one, this might be, I don't know if it's going to be tougher or easier. It's got to be tougher because you've got a lot more players and moments to choose from. So we're talking about the, the most memorable player or the most memorable moment of the decade or both a memorable player and a memorable moment. So I'm going to go back to an order and I'm going to start off with Gareth because I know he likes being put on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> he does well, so... <laughs> Check your notes. <laughs> this is for uh, uh, player of the decade. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, probably not one I think that's going to be shared by the rest of the group, something that was, that was pretty personal to me. Um, spring last year I thought right I am going to go out and see the 49ers play this Jimmy G this Jerick McKinnon booked my tickets looked at the schedule um, catching two games uh, I, I caught the game where we played in, in Arizona and it was awful it was a terrible game the, literally the only thing I can remember from that game is thinking hey at least I've seen Larry Fitzgerald catch a touchdown and and that's saying something when when that's the only memory from the game um, and then I followed that with my my first game at Levi's, which was the final Battle of the Bay, November the 1st, 2018. Uh, Levi's Stadium, sun going down, Raiders in town, stadium packed, um, awesome uh, atmosphere. Uh, and specifically, it's Kittle's one-handed catch. I remember that. Where unfortunately, he got brought down perhaps about eight or ten yards short from the goal line. Uh, and, and watching that, I was behind Kittle and I couldn't understand how he had caught the ball. I, I couldn't understand how the play had developed. I thought, was it intercepted and then Kittle's whipped the ball off him? Did it bounce off a player? I, I couldn't understand what had happened. It was simply the ball was there, it was overthrown and then Kittle's running down the field and the crowd's going wild. And I turned to the guy next to me and he just had this look on his face as well, like, what happened? Kittle seemed to defy the laws of physics as far as I was concerned at that moment. Um, and it's a it's a moment that I think will always be on uh, receiving highlight wheels. Um, so every time I see it, I'm going to have a little smile and go, oh, yeah, I was there. So that's, that's my moment. Yeah, that's a fantastic moment to remember as well. Brian? Well, I don't want to hog this one. <laughs> um the play of the decade for me will always be the Vernon post. And it gives me chills every time I talk about it. I was there and it was just unbelievable. Like, have you ever shouted so loud that you think you're going to pass out? And have you ever sort of jumped up and down so much that you thought you were in an earthquake? It, it was like that. It, it was just, I can't describe how good and amazing that was to, to see that at the end of the end zone that I was in as well. It was just an absolutely incredible moment that will live with me forever it was just the the whole week itself was was brilliant um 
but yeah, in terms of a particular play, um, I thought the Alex Smith run was gonna was gonna be the one, and then Vernon did that, or Alex and Vernon did that, and it just it was just something so so special that I'll, I'll like I say I'll never forget, and it was just oh. <laughs> it was it was just incredible. Um, in terms of moment of the decade. There's so many to choose from, but kind of a couple sort of lead into each other. And I'm going to say that it was, or the first one leads into the second, uh, which is when the 49ers came to London in 2010. Um, we met a lot of the um, players and stuff at the airport. Um, we sort of uh, did a few different things in London and, and sort of managed to sort of stalk some of the players. And I met Roger Craig and I got to know him and that was just amazing. Um and then from doing some of that stuff in 2010, we then sort of did that again in 2013, but we got involved with more of the back staff people and, and we made friends at the 49ers in terms of like Will Blackwell from 49ers Studios and Rob Alberino, who's like one of the presidents there now, and, and Scott Kegley, who's now working for the Vikings. And we got invited uh, to the team hotel and then they actually made a film about uh, 49er Faithful UK and that to be part of that was just uh, again it was just a completely surreal and incredible experience that has pretty much put our group you know not just through me but from everyone else's hard work as well sort of up and, and made us this official uh, booster club of the of the 49ers now and a lot of that goes back to a lot, a lot of the hard work that myself and various other people um, around the UK have put into you know into doing into to being where we are now as a group uh, and everything and and being recognized by the 49ers so in terms of the moments yeah it was sort of being you know doing that whole 2010 2013 and getting involved and doing doing the tv show and everything like that it was just uh yeah it's brilliant and it's nice to know that we're, you know we're fondly thought of by the 49ers over there and i still regularly speak to you know a couple of the guys you know at the 49ers now so yeah that that was pretty special and getting to know will um, he also gave me permission to uh, propose to my now fiance down on the field when we were there on holiday, which was uh, pretty cool. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> Fantastic man. wasn't on a wasn't on a game day though. I wasn't I wasn't that brave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So just go back to your first point, your memorable player. Um, so I only saw this. I think it was either yesterday or the day before. So NFL.com has compiled a list of the the best player by each franchise over the last 10 years. And the Vernon Post was the 49ers player that they selected. Is it? Okay. Right, so over to you, Paul. Yeah, echoing what everyone else has said, um, the, my moment's a bit personal to me. Um, when I first got into the sport, the reason I went down the 49er route was Colin Kaepernick. Um, I think I've talked about it on earlier podcasts, but the game against Green Bay, the divisional game, when he absolutely tortured Green Bay all night. But when he did that run, to me, I was just hooked. That was like, I always remember that play. Whenever I see it on YouTube or I see the highlights, it just makes me instantly remember, you know, why I've picked this team. Um, obviously, it just makes me, I get goosebumps thinking about it now. Um, but also, equally to that, the pick, pick at the stick, Bowman's the last play against the Falcons. Uh, that for me was my down as my play of the decade. Obvious reasons it was you know last game at Candlestick. So I think that's why I would stick my neck out and say that's my play of the decade. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I've got two. One is definitely a curveball. I don't think you guys are going to like it. But, uh, the pick of the stick is is definitely the, the, the top one. A, because I was there. Uh, and uh, it was the last game at Candlestick. And just the atmosphere and the, the crowd and everything that happened when Bowman kind of picked that bounce off uh, and just ran it all the way. It's just incredible. I think it's my favorite sporting moment of all time. And and I have a lot of them. I've been, you know, I've been playing football for a while and played soccer before that. And, and I've watched a lot of games, including my, my country playing, uh, you, you know, and winning games and stuff. So it's, yeah, that get, that game, that play is, is definitely out there. But it's I my second one, and it's a little bit of a, of a controversy, I reckon, but it, it's the tip on the NFC Championship uh, in 2013. That Sherman tipped to uh, uh, Malcolm Smith, I believe, uh, because that play has started where we are today and how we are building towards the future. Uh, if we complete that pass to Michael Crabtree and we win that game and we go to the Super Bowl the year after, it would have been the second Super Bowl in two years. Uh, I think Arbor will still be here. I think the Trent Borky will still be here. And, and we wouldn't have gone through six years of misery to have this absolutely amazing season that we just had. And this is, it started on that play, I believe, uh, at the end of the 2013 season, because 2014 is when Willis retired and, you know, all of this happened. And then we would, on the downward spiral for six years, we had James Msula and Mike Singletree and all that, and it was horrible. But then the going through the dirt and through the mud for the six years to be where we are now there. It starts on that on that day and, and how distraught I was then and how happy I was last week when Greenlow made the stop is almost too opposite. So uh, so there you go. Well, to be honest, I'm, I'm quite glad that you've gone with um, a seemingly negative, memorable experience um, because as we'll get to mine later on, uh, you'll find out I've done exactly the same as you. Or at least I did, but again, I might change my mind during this conversation. <laughs> so before we, before I get a chance to uh, change my mind, I'm going to let Jay tell us what his memorable player moment is. Um, I've been quite greedy. I've got three stroke four. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, not just me. I, I, I'll keep them nice and sweet. I mean, some of them have already been mentioned. Uh, firstly, Navarro Bowman's pick six against the Falcons. Uh, great minds, Paul. I mean, that that was incredible to see him being juggled and then just clinching it with that left hand and then powering. I mean, I don't think we've ever seen Bowman run so fast. <laughs> <laughs> it was incredible. Another, um, I'm glad somebody else has mentioned him again, Paul. Great minds. Kaepernick. Um, he's a loss to the league, I think. I don't want to get too political about it. Well, I'm not going to get political about it. My My memory of him was his 99-yard run after drop back against the Chargers in 2014. Um, I think they, they were in the lead anyway. I think it was third quarter, halfway through, and they were right back. I think the snap was taken from the 10 or 11-yard line. He took a drop back, saw a space, and ran the full length of the field, and nobody came close to the guy. Nobody. Um, a, a bit of a negative one, same as, um, same as Naji. There was the... Uh, the Bowman injury, um, I think it was in the playoff year 2013, um, when he ripped the ball as a 
um, from the Seahawks player. I can't remember who the Seahawks player was. And then he did his ACL in a horrific injury. Um, I mean, that was the start of the end for his career, um, which was a shame because he was one of my most favourite players ever to have played in a Niners jersey. Um, But it did lead to the rule change for the league for all turnovers being reviewed. So something good came out of it. Um, And then I've got a personal highlight, um, which could have been probably mentioned in the last one, but it's actually finding this group. Um, I was a a member of several 49ers fan-based Facebook groups based in the States. Um, And the negativity from the last two, three seasons, and even I pop on there now and have a quick look to see if it's changed. And even with the season we've just had, there is still negativity in there. This Facebook group that I found probably only around about two months ago um, is a personal highlight of mine of ever being a 49ers fan. Um, it's an amazing family. There's some incredible people in this. They, they're all brilliant. Um, and already the memories I've got will last a lifetime, um, especially the meet in Edinburgh. And regardless of the planes, uh, of the teams playing in the Super Bowl, I'm looking forward to the meet in Newcastle. Um, and to top it off, as I mentioned in my little end-of-year post on the um, on the Facebook group, is how proud I am of this team and how proud I am of where we come from um you you see all this stuff on the telly and you see people bigging us up and you know the positivity that's being spoken about us now um it's like being a proud dad you know and i absolutely love it fantastic man absolutely fantastic you can come again (laughs) 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 so i'll just put this out there but we haven't paid yet any money at all to say that. <laughs> okay, so... The speech is not sponsored. It's not. <laughs> I mean, just to just to cut in there, though, like, I mean, I don't think the group gets enough credit. Similar to Jay, I was wandering around cyberspace looking for a group, and I stumbled across this group. There was two UK-based ones. I joined both at the same time. I've left the other one. I focus all my efforts on this group. The game day thread, always memorable. And like you said, we've grown this season. Last couple of years, there's been a hardcore group of us who have been involved. This year, it's been nice to see the group grow. And like Jay said, like a proud dad, like the, the game day thread, was it a thousand comments easily we get now? Yeah. Well, I think, Two o'clock in the morning, you know, the positivity. I'm just looking now, Paul. I think we broke our previous record from the Seahawks game. Um, I think it was something like 1,300 plus comments from the end of year game. Yeah, that sounds about right because I think I was up for about two hours after the end of that game, still commenting <laughs> because I was buzzing that much. Yeah. Well, thank so you, thank you both from... of you. Sorry, go on, Gareth. It's quite a change from the uh, the. I remember the end of year game last year, which was that game against the Rams, where I think we turned the ball over three times in the first quarter on all our possessions and we were like 21 nil down after seven or eight minutes or something and it just turned into a into a group therapy session um, <laughs> you know we you, you got to laugh the season was gone we were we were getting hammered in that game and uh yeah it was uh very different this season yeah, than we still, watch. we still watch it gareth that's the thing it doesn't matter if we're winning or losing we still watch it 
Yeah, and I, th- I think I mean, we've all been in therapy since Hardball left. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. And when we it. talk about our memorable games and things, and again, someone touched upon a negative. One of mine was when we played the Rams on a Thursday night, and Hoyer was the quarterback. It was a late start. Oh, oh. I got oh, up. Boy. I remember getting up, sitting down on the sofa. Seven seconds in, pick six, and I'm sat there thinking, <laughs> "We're not going to win this game. <laughs> We're not coming back." What wasn't you that the forty-one forty game? Why am I doing this to myself? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's but, because we're like, Niners. It's because we're 49er fans. We're not just 49er bandwagon jumpers. We're 49er fans through and through. And we'll stay up for the 120 start game. And we'll go to bed at half past five, half past six in the morning and get up at half past eight in the morning for work. That's what we do. Yeah. Yeah, you're I'm right. Afraid. Okay, so my most... Reach! <laughs> my, my most memorable Neil player... when we need him? <laughs> My most memorable player is definitely the pick of the stick. And the reason for that is because I actually felt physically sick when the Falcons were marching down towards our end zone. I thought, I can't believe we're going to lose our very last game at Candlestick Park. It just doesn't bear thinking about. And that was it. I mean, I'd resign myself. That's it. We've lost the game. There's no way we can get back in this after the Falcons go down and score a touchdown because that's exactly what they're going to do on this drive here and when Bowman picked that off and took it to the house that was I was actually in tears it was unbelievable I was just so happy so that that was my most memorable player because we, we took a losing situation and turned it into a winning situation it clinched the west as well didn't it it I did think. yeah yeah, because mm. that was the uh, season we went on and obviously Navarro Bowman had his big injury in the NFC championship yeah. game yeah so moment of the decade so this is where I mentioned that I'm a little bit like Najee and I've kind of picked a negative a negative moment and that's purely because of the way it affected me and that was the announcement by Patrick Willis that he was retiring and I actually struggled with this it took us two weeks to actually watch the the uh, interview he gave the press conference he gave because I, I couldn't face it I didn't want it yeah. to be true. Yeah. Um, he he was such a big part of the momentum of the team. He was the leader of the team, and I, it was like somebody ripping your heart out. Mm-hmm. So I found I, I really struggled with that. But I'm also going to add a personal moment of the decade, and uh, obviously this is completely personal to myself. It's not necessarily about a game. But my moment of the decade as a 49er fan was actually meeting David Ellicott back in 2013. So we were both in San Francisco and we didn't know each other. He was from an hour and a half down the road from where I live. um, And I was just put in touch with him by by a member of the group who said, oh, do you want to come and share a taxi with us to Candlestick? So that's that's when I met David. Um, We immediately hit it off. We, we, We were both on the same level, always had the same opinions about pretty much everything and the moment that made it for me is I hadn't known David for 12 hours it was less than 12 hours I'd met him half eight on the morning um I think it must have been about five o'clock in the afternoon after the game had finished and I was stood next to this guy from Yorkshire who I'd only just met this was about an hour after the game had finished and the pair of us were stood shoulder to shoulder with tears in our eyes because that was our one and only time we were ever going to get to Candlestick and see the 49ers play. So that will always be in my mind. 
he, he's, he's now my best friend. He's absolutely fantastic. We've been across to uh, San Francisco on several occasions now, albeit he does try to kill me every time we go across with alcohol poisoning. <laughs> um, but he, that, for me, that, that, that made my decade to, to meet somebody like David. And uh, we talk regular. He, he doesn't come into the game day thread, but he does text me via Facebook Messenger. Um, he, he doesn't like spoilers, and he's always on a on a thread that sorry on a stream that's a little bit behind. Um, so I need to be careful what I say to him because I'm always on a stream that's a little bit ahead of him. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean that that friendship that friendship's going to last forever. So that was my personal moment of the decade as a 49ers fan. Right, let's move on to the final section of today's show, and that is who will be in the Super Bowl. So, rather than asking for both teams, I'm going to start off by asking if anyone doesn't think the 49ers are going to make it to Miami. I'm not backing down now. <laughs> you've got a sound clip for some tumbleweed or some wind blowing. Not, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not happening. <laughs> We're yeah. doing this. So I, I, yep, I, I, I'm sure there's somebody in the background that haven't thought about this. Is, is somebody is somebody going to cave and say we're not going to make it? No way. I'll tell you now, we're going to make it this year and next. Ooh. Oh, Ooh, oh, that's that is a bold prediction. There you go. <laughs> right, he's the breaking news. Let's have that one again. <laughs> You heard it here first. Jay Peplow reporting for the 49er Faithful UK. Um, we're going to hit Super Bowl this year and next. And win. Fantastic. It must be difficult to walk with balls as big as yours. <laughs> yeah, carpet burns, I must admit. Yeah. Yeah, you need a wheelbarrow. <laughs> okay, then. So, we all think the 49ers are going to go uh, make it to Miami in the Super Bowl. Now... The next question is probably going to split the group a little bit. Who do we think is going to be the AFC representative in the Super Bowl? Well, I've said it on the last podcast, so I'll go first. I think it's going to be the Chiefs. I just, I just, I just can't see them lose a game. They, they just well too stacked everywhere on the field, uh, every position, and they've got the reigning MVPs as quarterback, and they've got a coach that knows how to win in playoffs and how to win, you know. Uh, pretty much any game you put in front of him. It's a team that's able to put easily 50 points on pretty much anybody. Um, I just I just don't think anybody's going to be able to stop Mahomes. And as much as good as Lamar Jackson and the Ravens are, I don't think they'll be able to keep up. Interesting. Interesting that you think uh, the Ravens would struggle against the Chiefs' offense and not ours. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I think people are sleeping on them. I think... You know, the NFL is, is is very, people are looking at the last sample size that they've got, and, and it, definitely the Ravens have been the top team in the AFC, but the, the Chiefs, uh, as I said, they've got a reigning MVP. Uh, Lamar Jackson is an MVP uh, until until he gets given the award in, in whenever the, the thing is. So, uh, and, and he's a two-year, you know, Patrick Mahomes has played in big games. He's, you know, he was a drive away from going to the Super Bowl last year. I, th I think there's there's more in that team that meets the eye, and I th I think they'll be able to take care and uh, handle it. I think I think it'll be Ravens Chiefs in a in a championship, and I think the Chiefs will win that. So that'll be interesting because, to be honest, I think 
the 49ers Chiefs would make a better game than the 49ers Ravens would as a spectacle in the Super Bowl. Oh, yeah, yeah, I agree. I think so. I think it'll be a, a, a more offensive-centered game rather than what we had. Well, we've, we've seen what Niners-Ravens is like. It's, you know, a lot of running and, and it's, who, it, it comes down to who got who gets the ball in the last position, basically, mm. yeah. and, unless, there's a, unless there's a big defensive turnover or something. So, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting. It'll definitely be... It's, you know, it's the playoffs. It's... I'm just excited, regardless of who who we play, and as long as we're in it, it'll be it'll be awesome. Yeah, you're not wrong. Okay, Jay, who are we beating in the next two Super Bowls? <laughs> Ravens. I want a rematch. Um, I want a rematch from the past Super Bowl, and I want a rematch from the past game of this season. Um, I think we got Lamar Jackson's number now. We showed that as the game went on in there. They we we stopped him scrambling as much. Um, so I'm going Ravens for this year. Next year, oh, <laughs> next year, it's a long way away. I'll go Chiefs next year. I reckon um, I'll go against the grain with Nadji on this one. I, I don't think Mahomes is ready for a Super Bowl yet. I reckon next year he will be. Um, so I'm going Ravens this year, Kansas City Chiefs next year. Both wins. Fair enough. Okay, then. Brian, who are you stealing the Brussels from? I think uh, I think the Ravens again. I think, as Naji correctly says, there. I think it's the kind of Super Bowl that lends itself to the the, the typical 2017. You know, the, the the winning field goal at the end, or you know, the the defensive stop, that, and you know, the the field goal field goal on the last scoring play is the one that wins the game. Um. Yeah, I. I I can see the the Ravens and, and the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game, and I think Robert Sala will adjust much better in the Super Bowl against the Ravens than he did or didn't in our game in Baltimore. I think um, he will take away uh, Jackson in the Super Bowl rather than allowing pretty much Jackson to pretty much do whatever the hell he wanted for the best part of three quarters and, and then sort of eventually got to him and near the end, but it was too late by that point. So I think this time Salah makes better adjustments and, and we take them out in, in the Super Bowl. So it's interesting what the three of you who've already given your opinion have mentioned, um, especially about adjustments, because you have actually answered one of the questions that is going to come after the Super Bowl predictions. So before we get onto those questions, let's hear what um, Gareth or who Gareth thinks is going to be in the Super Bowl? For, for most of the season, I, I, I would have said Ravens, but I'm, I, I think Chiefs could do it as well. I think last last season was the the Patrick Mahomes show, um, but the the Chiefs didn't really have much of a defence to back it up, um, and obviously got undone in the AFC Championship game. I think it it could be reversed for for the Ravens this year, where everybody's thinking the Ravens would do it. There, there is a chance potentially they they believe their own hype. Um, and one thing I think we've seen with the Ravens, they've—I don't think they've really been behind. They've had a couple of close games, like the like the game against us, but I don't think they've been really hugely put under pressure because they they've always been able to go out and score points, build the lead, uh, and, and play the game, uh, you know, in front of in front of the team that they're playing. Whereas someone like the Chiefs could go out to a 14-point lead uh, and and put a bit of a screw on them, um, and I. 
if you if you pick now, um, I, I'm going to say Chiefs. Um, I've also from the podcast learned to uh, trust Nadji's opinion. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I just want to point out that they've played each other once this year already, and the Chief won. Yeah, so that that will be an interesting discussion point again. Like I said in, in the questions, because everything you're saying here is relevant to the answer to a question that we need to give later. So, Paul, I, I believe it'll be the Ravens. I, I'm of a similar mindset of Jay. I think it's it's heading that way. Another rematch. I think we'll make the necessary adjustments. Um, the Chiefs are a good team. I think Mahomes is a great quarterback, but I think the Ravens' defense. I think it's just set up for a rematch too between us and them. Yeah, so I'm I'm going to agree with that as well because my pick was the Ravens. Also, I can't look past them purely because of the season they've had offensively. I think the AFC teams they've got, obviously they've played against the Chiefs already and they got beat by the Chiefs. However, I fully believe that their defensive coordinator is going to be exactly the same as Robert Sala. He's going to make adjustments to make sure that doesn't happen a second time, just as we did against the Seahawks. And last Sunday's game was the perfect example. Um, Kyle Shanahan mentioned after the game, we set out to stop the big players, which is what hurt us so much at Levi's. We did that and we came away with the win. And that's what NFL football is all about. It's it's making the correct adjustments. Generally, you do it at half time, not the end of the game for the next game. But that's divisional football for you as well. So, with what everything's what everybody said, I'm going to start asking the questions from the group. And I'll. Do you know what we've just what we've just done though? We've just all slept on the Patriots. So <laughs> yeah, uh, Brady's time is over. Uh, we've been saying that for five years. <laughs> I can only wish. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Although the, I think the Titans will win. Yeah, I hope so. Jimmy yeah. <laughs> 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 team versus Tom Brady would be, uh, you know, the uh, like the duel between Darth Vader and Obi Wan. Yes. Yeah, that would be quite good. Yeah, that would be quite good. And it'll be interesting to see if uh, Gronkowski comes out of retirement within the next couple of days. <laughs> uh, Does he do a as well? Does he? Yeah, by a Martian Lynch jersey. And, uh... yeah. <laughs> just quickly touching on that, it, I must admit, as much as he's a Seahawk, and you know, none of us like Seahawks. We had the transition of when Sherman came over to us, and I remember the amount I hated Sherman when he used to play for the Seahawks, and then he came to us, and all of a sudden. We love his guts, you know. We love every bone in his body. It was nice to see Steady. him. On- <laughs> <laughs> Lynch. I said in his body, keep it PG. <laughs> it it was nice to see Lynch back on the field, even though it was only for like a dozen or so snaps. You know, it was nice. He, he still had that stance, and he still had that aggressive running manner, which I think is always nice to see in a game. I'll agree to disagree with you there. <laughs> Good player. Yeah. Don't, don't like the person. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, yeah. 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 I stopped eating Skittles because of him. <laughs> <laughs> I still love Skittles. <laughs> You're more of a Rebels man now, are you? <laughs> yeah, even the coffee ones. <laughs> I, I must be the only person that likes coffee chocolates. No, well, I, I like them as well. Yeah, I like them as well. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm glad to know there's not just me. 
Okay, so we went off on a bit of a tangent there, chocolate. Sorry. <laughs> okay, so let's move on to these questions. There's only three of them, and we'll start off with the one that I believe we've already answered. So Graham McKittrick is wondering whether it's an advantage or disadvantage to have already played some of the potential playoff opponents. I think it's a massive advantage, especially when we're going to get to be able to sit there and watch them play again. Um, I know their playbooks and everything are as, you know, as thick as your arm in some teams, but I think that reference of playing them once before, knowing where their weaknesses are, where their predictability is, um, and then again being able to watch them play, even though be it against a different team, I think it's got to be an advantage of being able to sit there and watch a team play before you play them to see what sort of weapons they're going to be trying to come at you with. Does anybody yeah, disagree? Have exactly the same. Yeah. It's an advantage and a disadvantage. You've already played them, so they know what you're doing, but you know what they're doing. So it's, it's, I think it's an advantage for us because Kyle is such a smart guy and such a genius. And it'll be able to come up with something that somebody doesn't doesn't expect. But, you know, John Arbor is a very, very good coach if we were to play the Ravens again, say. Um, and, you know, Martindale and, and, and uh, oh, I forgot, uh, Greg Roman are very, very, very good coordinators. So it's, it's good and not good, but also you can play mind games and it, it becomes even more of a chess game and it makes the game even more interesting if you can trick people into doing things and... And that's why that's why the Patriots are good at, and that's why they're they're winning all the time. Better chicks, and you know the, the the ability to analyze and make you think something, and then do something else is is is, is important in this game. So I'm going to completely agree with what you just said, Nadi, at the start of that, which was it's both an advantage and a disadvantage. I'm I'm a firm believer that in the NFL, you learn more from being beat than you do from winning. Because when you get beat, you, you learn how they attacked you and you mm -hmm. plug that gap. Whereas when you're winning, you, you're going after that same weakness. You're not actually trying out any other weaknesses. So you have to come up with something completely new by doing a lot more study of not just your game against them, but everybody else's game against them to see what other weaknesses there was so you can correctly game plan for it which is why i think if you get beat so our game against the ravens i think we'll have learned a lot more from that game than the games against both the saints and the packers yeah i agree that's wrong okay then so let's move on to the other two questions and the other two questions are fairly straightforward and easy martin hughes from liverpool Wants to know if the NFC West is the toughest division in the NFL. No, it's the NFC East, obviously. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, funny enough, I was going to say something like that, and I was just going to blame the government. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, but probably next year is definitely going to be the hardest division to to, to win. Uh, I, I can't think of, and maybe the NFC North is. It's as rough, maybe, even though the Lions are not nowhere near as good. Um, I don't think I can think of any other division that's as close as this one. Maybe the AFC South, all the teams are very close to each other. Um, but no, yeah. It's not in a good way, though, that's the problem. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. 
Actually, I mean, it makes, it makes it harder to win it, is what, is what I'm, I'm saying. But in terms of rec- pure records, we've got the, the you know the Rams are nine and seven, and they're out of the contention. The, the Titans are nine and seven, and they're playing a playoff game. So yeah, yeah definitely, I think so. Eagles are I mean, nine if, seven and won a division. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> I mean, if you look at where we hit, like the NFC West was decided in the last second on the last play of the game. Um, and like we've touched upon there, all the teams in our division, you know, I, I would agree with what Martin said that it's definitely been the hardest division to win. Yeah, yeah, I, I can't go away from the fact that the NFC West is this season uh, has been the toughest de- uh, division. We, we've had some tough games, even against the Cardinals. The, the mm-hmm. Cardinals have put up a fight in, in all the games. I mean, they went out to Seattle and they beat Seattle, and they put up yeah. two really good games against ourselves, uh, and. Those were effectively, if you just look at the record, those were the whipping boys of the division. Yeah, yeah. they didn't get yeah. whipped by anyone. Oh, the Cardinals are a good team. Uh, people are sleeping on them because they were four, four and nine or something, but the Cardinals are way better than their record shows. Um, yeah. They feel like what we were last year. Um, they just need maybe one good player or two good players in addition, and, and they'll be they'll be over the hump. So that's what I'm thinking. Next year is going to be it's going to be rough. Yeah, yeah. Kyler Murray is the type of quarterback who can cause us problems for years in the same way that Wilson has. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, I mean, it gets you thinking something that you don't really want to think because it's not really fair on the players and that is just one bad knee injury might uh, curtail that uh, running which makes them just a pocket passer which is mm. the ideal type of quarterback that we can get after. That's true, that's true. Okay, so... Last and final question. Lee Cotton has asked, what happened to Jalen Hurd? Can he still make the playoffs? So, I, think I don't think so. I think he had a stress fracture in his back, I think, in one of his vertebrae. So, I don't think he's slated to return. I'm not even sure how far along he is on his rehab. Um, but I think that because he's young, I think they're playing it safe. There's no point putting him in because he's not going to get reps anyway. Um, you know, building up, learning the playbook and, and everything. If you haven't had the time to do all this on the field, you're not going to get a chance in, in the playoffs for sure. So I think they just decided, look, let's scratch this year off, get right, come back next year and we can go from there. So what I would say is, regardless of what his health status is at the moment, it, it was always going to be very unlikely that he came back for the playoffs. And the reason for that is he's currently on IR. We can mm-hmm. only activate two players off IR. We've already activated Kentavious Street and we will be activating Quan Alexander within the next week. Right, well, there you go. And that's our second player. So health-wise, technically, yeah, he might still be able to make the playoffs, but we wouldn't be able to reactivate him off IR. Well, that leads me into uh, another question, which I just put on, uh, on, on Facebook, is do you guys think Quan Alexander should play? Should, should he return for strength? If he's and fully fit, I, absolutely. I say no, because, because the, the chemistry between Greenlow and Warner has it, been nothing but growing. These guys are on the same page, and they're playing extremely well. Um, to me, the NFL isn't just about the physical attribute. Playing the game gets you into... Uh, some kind of like state of mind and state of body that you just don't get out of practice and and you know fitness tests and and reading playbooks 
being game ready will only come when you play games, and that's why the earlier season is always kind of weird to watch and see teams develop. And I think if he if he were to come back now, because he's been out for so long, I think he would be a step behind. And I think even though if even if he's fully fit. I think it would be a step behind and it would be a bit slow to read what's happening. Uh, the game will feel a lot faster. Uh, that's, that's the way they say in, in the commentary, and it is true. The, the game slows down the more you play and the more rep you get. And mm. I think I think it would be a step behind, and I don't think it should come in. Uh, don't, don't fix something that's not broken. Our linebacker group has been playing awesome. Let's just keep that. I, that's my personal opinion. I think they might use him situationally. I think if they're... He, he, might, he might be the starter or he might just come in or he, he might come in on obvious passing situations, third down, etc. when just it's looking it. like the, oh, yeah. yeah maybe. And also for his coverage skills as well. He, he's shown early in the season that he was pretty damn good in coverage. So he oh, might yeah. come in in those situations and, and almost kind of rotate rotate the guys in just just to try and get him back in and, and get him some reps. It's it's a big big ballsy call if they do do it though. Mm-hmm. I, I do believe in the whole theory of if it's not broken, don't fix it. Um, but it can always be handy to have that spare part on the shelf just in case you need it. Oh, that's suit him. Get him on the sideline and get him ready yeah. to play for sure. But yeah. put so, him in, playing him and telling Greenlaw, thanks, mate. Go and sit down there. <laughs> gone, gone back. It's a little bit, I th- you, you know, it's a, it's also a bit of a, you know, mental thing. The, the guy's been playing awesome. Let him play awesome. Let him, let him show that he can play in the playoffs. And Mind you, they, they yeah. did that with Staley and McGlinchey when... Uh, they did, uh, yeah, that's the, true. That's very yeah, true. Yeah, with, with School and Brunskill came in. So yeah. they're not afraid to make the decisions and, and drop people and, and, and reinstate, you know, previous starters into the lineup. No, I, I just think the, the timeline is a little bit too late. It, I did mm. come back last week, maybe. Uh, but because he's not even, it's not even the next game, but the one after he's supposed to yeah. be coming back. Yeah. I, f- I think as a, you know, as an NFC conference uh, championship, that would be that. It's too much at stake. It, what if you put him in and he's just, you know, burns a play and costs us a game? Well, then mm. we start going, oh, he, sh- he should have never been in in the first place. Well, apparently, he's been designated to return. I've just, uh, just had a look. Yeah. 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 He'll definitely be suited on the sideline, and he's a he's a big leader, so it's good to have him on the field because he he does the pre-game pep talks and all that kind of stuff. So that you know, it's not not every player is good at that. So it's good to have him and to yeah. pump up the guys, and especially the young guys. Yeah, he's um, returned to practice today. Oh wow! Okay, that's it. Uh, kudos to him. Like how impressive it is. He torn his pectoral um, muscles. That is usually six months. At the very yeah. least, if you can start even just running, never mind playing in an NFL game and practicing again. So, yeah, we'll see. I'm, I, I trust Robert, Sally, and Kyle to make the right decision. It's no, it's not my call in there. <laughs> so I think Brian hit the nail on the head when he said he'd be used in situational plays. Yeah. I, I don't for one second think he'll come back in and be a starter. N- not in this position that he plays. I think there's a good chance that they do suit him um, and, and do what they did with Witherspoon for the first couple of games, which is sub him yeah. in gently until they're, they're quite confident that um, he is up to speed. Obviously, he's coming into practice today. Potentially, if he's uh, fit for next Sunday, they might sub him um, for the divisional game, sub him in for the NFC Championship game. Uh, and then by the Super Bowl, that's two not full games he's got under his belt, but will give him a good idea whether or not he is fit enough and sharp enough to start for the Super Bowl. Yeah, ideally what we want to do is 
play the Eagles, destroy them in the first half, put 40 yes. points, and yes. then just let them go and play out there. Yeah. That would be good. <laughs> so, actually, I mean, you make a good point there um, about playing the Eagles. Do we think uh, the Seahawks can actually go into Philly and get a win? Yeah, yeah, they can absolutely. The the Eagles are so broken. It's it, we've been complaining about injuries all season. Just just have a look at the IR the Eagles have had to deal with. They don't they don't even have an active wide receiver apart from Greg Ward, which is a undrafted rookie from. He was in a practice quite two weeks ago. So, yeah, the Seahawks have got a better roster. Um, although Zach Kurtz is back, so that's good for the Eagles. Uh, but, yeah, I think they can. They're, they're built to win clutch games, aren't they? And they're very good at it. They almost did it against us. And they, they can. But it wouldn't surprise me if the Eagles won that. Yeah, I've, I've got a feeling that the Eagles might turn them over. Yeah, they were talking on NFL Network this afternoon. Where do the Seahawks go if they do lose this one? Like, you know, they've gone all in on Wilson. There's been a big shift in the culture. And they, they were quite split. The analysts this afternoon were quite split. I think they were saying there they can see the Seahawks winning. But equally, they can see, because the Eagles have had to win, haven't they, the last few weeks? Every game has yeah. been a must-win game for them going into this. So there's that double-edged sword, you know, which way is the momentum going? But I mm -hmm. think it would leave a few questions for the Seahawks if they get beat in this one. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, so... But not that after any of our worry, because we're going to win the Super Bowl, because Jay <laughs> yes. said so. Yeah, Jay yes. said so. Yes. so. I've called most of them. I have called most of them. Even in the dying minutes, I have said, I'm confident we've got this. <laughs> yeah, well, I hope you're right, buddy. I really hope you're right. Right, guys. Thank you all for joining me on the show. It's, it's been great listening to everybody's opinion for the award winners, your memorable moments, memorable players. It was really interesting to, to listen to that. Um, thank you to everyone that takes the time to download and listen to us prattle on about 49er football. Please remember to like and subscribe and also visit our YouTube channel by searching for 49er Faithful UK. We have a meetup arranged in Newcastle for the Super Bowl. The Come event on. details can be found in the event tab on the Facebook app. If you do intend to go, please let us know as soon as possible. And we can arrange collection of the £10 fee, which will cover entrance, a free drink, burger and chips, um, reserve table, and also a free bet. Um, so if you want Ooh. to do that, get yourself over to the event tab. Just register yourself as gone, and I'll be putting up some PayPal details so you can send me the money and I'll pop up to Groves in the Casino and get all that paid for us all. Asking for a friend, can you take Brasso as on as hand luggage? <laughs> <laughs> you, you've given us an idea there, Brian, but I'm going to keep it to myself. <laughs> right. Brasso shots, lovely. Oh, no, I, I don't know about that. Okay, so the next show will be the Divisional Game Preview Show. And that should be uploaded sometime in the middle of next week with us having the Saturday night game. Um, do we have the Saturday night game? Mm -hmm. We do yes, have the Saturday yeah, night game. Saturday night game. Yeah. It is yeah. the 11th, half nine kickoff, I think we're on. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So until then, go Niners. <laughs>